My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. There was a five-year-old kid once who was being prepared for First Holy Communion, and the teacher was explaining how in all the sacraments we receive grace. And this grace lifts us up onto a supernatural level, whereby we can perform supernatural actions, actions above our nature. Well, the kid was very impressed and excited when he heard these words. He had never heard anything so fantastic before. He'd seen movies of Batman and Batwoman and Superman and Superwoman and Spider-Man and Spider-Woman. And now he hears that we're able to perform supernatural actions. So he thought the best thing he could do was to go home and baptize his pet dog, Rufus. So he went home and he got Rufus and brought him to the bathroom and filled him up with water and poured it over the head of Rufus and said, now Rufus, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now Rufus, you should be able to perform a supernatural action, an action above your nature. So talk to me, Rufus, talk to me. And the story ended with Rufus beginning to talk and saying, well, you'll have to be patient with me while I learn to talk because I'm not very used to talking. For Rufus to be able to talk would be an action above his nature. This gives us some idea what it means for us to be able to perform a supernatural action and to lead a supernatural life. And that's something to which we're all called by our baptism. Grace cleanses us from sin, from original sin, from all sin, but it also elevates us. It lifts us up onto a supernatural plane. And that's why the greatest way for us to live is to live in the state of grace most marvelous reality on the planet to lead a supernatural life with supernatural goals to look at everything in this world from a supernatural perspective which is the way God sees things that's the way they are in reality not just from our limited human perspective and therefore it makes an awful lot of sense that we have a hunger for grace we come to love the sacraments and appreciate the sacraments and look for them, strive for them, lead a sacramental life. I want that life of grace for everybody around us, first and foremost, our own family, our own children. And by living a life of grace ourselves, well, we hopefully give great example to our children about what is really important. Over the years, I've been well impressed to hear some fathers who come for confession every week and make it their business to get to confession. It's a small little sacrament or a short sacrament, it takes two or three minutes. It's free, something we don't think enough about. 
and yet we get a great amount of grace into our soul. Well, a number of fathers have told me, they said, Father, you know, I, I see the fruits in my family of the fact that I get to confession every week. Somehow there is peace, there is serenity in my home. And if I miss confession, well, also I, I notice somehow there's a bit of a bump in the social relations at home. It was a rather beautiful expression of the social consequences of grace. Scott Hahn says something similar. After he became a Catholic, he said he was sitting at his desk one Saturday afternoon and his wife comes to him, who was not yet a Catholic, and said to him, how long has it been since you last went to confession? And he felt a bit irritated. But what's it to you? You don't even believe in the stuff. No. And he felt a little bit got at by this piercing question from his wife. And she said, well, all I know is that when you come back from confession, you're kinder to me and the kids. And so very sheepishly, he had to admit it's three weeks. <laughs> and so he describes how later that afternoon he got the car keys and he drove off to see his confessor. It was a rather interesting witness coming from his non-Catholic wife of the fruits of confession in his soul. And so grace is a wonderful thing. And in the sacraments we have something akin to Victoria Falls or Niagara Falls of grace. There are torrents and torrents of graces that come into our soul. St. Paul says there is a superabundance of grace. Where sin abounded, there was a superabundance, an overflow of the amount of graces. Our Lord said to St. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I give you enough grace to conquer every battle, to fight to the end, to be strong, to be victorious. These are very wonderful terms very optimistic, full of hope. We've just finished the Feast of the Blessed Trinity, where we are reminded of the phrase where our Lord says, we will come and make our abode in him. That's what divine grace is. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit coming to live in our soul in grace. And that's why divine grace is the most fantastic reality on the planet. There's nothing compared with that. And to live the life of grace is the most wonderful thing. And hopefully to die in the state of grace. And therefore one very clear goal we should try and have for our life is to live in the state of grace all the days of our life. And if we realize what a treasure that is, if ever we lose that state of grace, it would be logical to try and get back into the state of grace within 24 hours, the sense of urgency. And to savor the sacraments of Holy Communion, and we receive again those torrents of grace. The Holy Spirit is poured into our soul. 
And with grace comes an increase in the supernatural virtues of faith, of hope, of charity. We can never have too much of those virtues. We need them. The greatest way to grow in, in faith, in hope, in charity is to receive the sacraments frequently. And with them, we also receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge, piety, fortitude, fear of the Lord, as well as the fruits of the Holy Spirit in our soul, peace, joy, serenity. That's what that father of a family and the wife of Scott Howe were, were really talking about. They saw the fruits of the Holy Spirit active in their family. You could say that the greatest thing that a mother or father can do for their children is to live in the state of grace. To create a Christian home without grace in their soul. Do the children grow up savouring that reality, understanding what it means? I knew a man in Singapore many years ago who had a primary school education and then he became a salesman and he was selling pots and pans and he knocked on the door of the president of the Ford Corporation one day expecting to get the wife but he got the husband. We didn't want any pots and pans but he was impressed with his sales pitch and so he invited him to try his hand at selling cars. So he said come to my office on Monday morning and we'll start you off selling cars. So he began to sell cars, he graduated to Mercedes-Benzes and he ended up importing Rolls-Royces and he knew the mileage and the clock of every Rolls-Royce in Asia. He made a lot of money, but then he made a mistake. He gave a present of a watch to someone in the government, which in that country you cannot do, and the government turned around and bankrupted him. So he lost his business, his house, his money, his wife very kindly left him and he developed stage four cancer at the age of 49. And that's where I got to know him. He used to come to see me on a regular basis. And he used to attend a class that I used to give downtown on a Tuesday lunchtime, I think it was. In the morning of a certain class I was giving, I saw a headline in the newspaper that talked about a Hong Kong tycoon. And I got rather struck by those words, that word tycoon. And the class was on divine grace. And I happened to mention that during the class, that we are spiritual tycoons. And we're in the state of grace, we are spiritual tycoons. Now this man, he said, had come into that class feeling very low, as he had for a number of weeks and months. He'd lost everything of value in his life. And then he said, I heard I was a spiritual tycoon. So he said, I came out of that class telling myself I'm a spiritual tycoon. I'm a spiritual tycoon. He said, I haven't felt so good for ages. Well, a couple of months later, he got worse. He couldn't drive anymore. He got into a, a taxi and the taxi driver had a rosary beads around the mirror. 
He complimented the taxi driver for being so upfront about his Catholic faith. The taxi driver said, well, I see you're very breathless. Is there something wrong? He said, well, I'm a, I'm a dying man. I've got cancer. And how did you get cancer? Too much stress. He thought stress gives you cancer, but it doesn't. But the taxi driver said, well, you've got to let it all go. Get rid of everything. Let everything go. He said, well, I have let everything go. I've lost my business, my money, my house, my wife, my health. I've nothing else to let go. And the taxi driver said, well, you haven't lost Jesus and Jesus hasn't lost you. And so this guy, when he got out of the taxi, he called me on the phone and he said, you know, I just had the same experience with this taxi driver that I had in your class. I, I really felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me, telling me I'm a spiritual tycoon. And then he said, now I realize I don't need to attend your class anymore. Because what I learn in your class, I can learn from taxi drivers. And so we are spiritual millionaires. It's a rather interesting thought to have some morning when you wake up and you're not feeling too good. Remind yourself that you're a spiritual tycoon. And therefore the worst possible thing that can happen in our life is that we lose the state of grace. The world presents to us many things as evils, cancer, sickness, bankruptcy, unemployment, death, obesity, and a new epidemic in the States and other places, and the coronavirus. None of these things are evils because none of these things can keep us out of heaven. All these things may be a means to our eternal destiny, to the eternal wedding feast where we contemplate the blessed trinity forever in heaven, the goal of our life. The only thing that can keep us out of heaven is sin. And therefore sin is the only real evil, the only thing we have to hate in this world, sin and the devil. Try and repeat those words to your children. They don't get fooled that other things are real evils. In the Garden of Paradise, after Adam and Eve committed the first original sin, we're told they, they went and hid themselves. But the, God came to look for them in the cool of the day. And they hid from Yahweh, God, among the trees of the garden. But Yahweh, God, called to the man, where are you? Now this where are you is not just state your longitude and your latitude. It's more a metaphysical question. To where have you fallen? You had this life of unity with God in the garden of paradise. You talked to him. There was an intimacy there. But now they've lost that intimacy. They go and hide. Something has been ruptured. John Paul II says there is a fundamental disquiet in the whole of human nature. Sort of an earthquake or a tsunami. All these things give us an insight into the gravity of sin. Falling away from God. 
And so we can ask God for the grace to have a real hatred for sin, mortal and venial. Worst possible thing that can happen to any human person is that he falls into the state of mortal sin. And the church has made very clear for us what the major mortal sins. Stealing large amounts of money, getting drunk, missing mass on Sundays voluntarily. Everything in the sexual area, masturbation, contraception, abortion, etc. Drugs. These are the major mortal sins that people commit. And so we have to try and flee from sinners from the devil himself. That's why regular sacramental confession, weekly if possible, is a great help to that. It reminds us of what sin is. Helps us to realize, so we don't forget us, the most important messages of our life. Somebody said once that a venial sin is like a fly or a mosquito. You could brush it away, perhaps. But if you've 20 mosquitoes, 20 venial sins, and you have 20 mosquitoes or 20 flies around you, you can't think, you can't work. And so regularly we need to go and have our soul cleansed, keep our heart clean. Just by driving around town on a, on a good day, will we still get specks of dust in the windscreen? And moving around in a regular way, we get those same specks of dust in our soul, venial sins, which we need to wash away in a regular way, keep our soul sparkling clean. John Paul II in Churchesimus Annus, one of his apostolic letters, says, Never forget this, for it is here that the decisive battles for society's future are being waged. The first and most important task is accomplished in man's heart. The way in which he is involved in building his own future depends on the understanding he has of himself and of his own destiny. Confession is very important for rebuilding society. If every man around us, and every man in government is in the state of grace, it's logical to see that God can control the world. But if every man around us and in government is not in the state of grace, well then the devil may be in charge. And so we bring about a great social revolution by doing the apostles of confession, helping the heart of every man to reflect the ideas of God, to be in the state of grace so that the Holy Spirit can work there. Solzhenitsyn has a phrase where he says, gradually it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passed not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart. I've come to understand the truth of the religions of the world. The struggle with the evil inside the human being. It is impossible to expel from the world in its entirety, but it is possible to constrict it within each person. 
So the battle against the evil within us, which is always there, a very important battle for us to, to wage and give importance to. There was a man in Manila once who worked in the army, I think he was a quartermaster, and he had to buy large supplies, and he had a supplier from a certain country, and this supplier offered him a huge bribe. Six-figure sum would be straight into his bank account, but even his wife would know. And the guy said no. And the supplier was well, a bit annoyed. He'd never been refused before. And this was a huge amount of money. So he said to the quartermaster, well, look, every man has his price. I will find your price. Well, when that quartermaster was driving home that night, he, he was asking himself, I wonder if it's true that every man has his price. And if it's true, well, I wonder what my price is, because I've just turned down such a huge amount of money. And that man used to go to confession every week, and he used to come to recollections every month and retreat every year. And he had developed a custom of reading a few lines of, of the New Testament every, every evening. So when he got home, he opened his Bible, and the Bible fell open at the first letter of St. Peter, chapter 1, verse 18, which said, You know that you were redeemed from your vain manner of life. Not with perishable things, with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So he said, ah, this is my price. I have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. What a fool I would be to sell my soul for anything When we look at the cross, we see how blood flowed in streams down the body of our Lord. And even if we were the only person in the whole world, our Lord would still have died on the cross for us to redeem our soul. And we could ask our Lord that we might have the grace to learn the gravity of sin. And really, all we have to do is look at Christ on the cross. The lashes and the blows and the wounds, all of those things speak to us of the gravity of sin. The Archbishop of Paris was telling a story one time in a homily, and he told a story of five young guys who came into the cathedral in Paris, and they made a bet with each other to see who would make a mock confession. The bet was about five francs, maybe 200 shillings. And somebody took on the, the bet and this guy went in to make his mock confession and he made it and then he came out and he asked for his money. But one of the other guys said, well, look, if you made a mock confession, you would have got a penance. So you go up the front of the church there and you say your penance. So he marched up, marched up to the front of the church and stood in front of the altar, in front of the crucifix and took out his fist and shook it at the crucifix and said, you died for me. Well, for you, I don't give up. 
Then he found he couldn't finish it. God gave him the grace in that moment to realize what it meant that Christ had died for his sins on the cross. And the Archbishop finished his homily saying, I was that young man. I was the one who came into the church. I was the one who took on the bed. I was the one who shook my fist at the crucifix. And not only did God give me a light to see in that moment what it meant that he died and shed his blood for my sins, but also he let me see in that moment that he wanted something more from me in my life. And so the treasure of divine grace is there always. Helps us to be a little bit more aware of the temptations of the devil that come to us. Venerable Fulton Sheen says there are two clear signs of the devil in the world. One is nudity and the other is violence. Rather interesting little litmus test for us to watch out for, to flee from, to take care that we flee from all occasions of sin, no matter what they are. Occasions of sin are external circumstances that lead us into sin. I was giving a class once in another country and I happen to mention that if you find yourself in some drinking joint one time and the suddenly the curtain goes up and the dancing girls come on and you say to yourself, well, I wouldn't like my wife to see me here or my children. Well, probably God doesn't want to see you there either. A few days later, a man who was in that class came to me and said, well, look, I'm, uh, I'm an auditor in a bank and I travel a lot to different cities and we finish work at five or six and then we usually go out for a few drinks and very often I find myself in one of those places. But now I've made a resolution before I even go into the place. I ask myself, well, would my wife and my children even like to see me going into this place? And he said, usually the answer is no. And so I say to the other guys, okay, guys, I'll see you later. I'm going to go and have dinner somewhere else. There was a man who knew how to avoid what had become an occasion of sin, change his life in concrete work circumstances. Confession for us can be a great joy in our soul. I was rather struck a few times when Protestants who had converted to the Catholic faith would come to confession regularly. At one time, one man said to me, Father, would you ever mind saying the words of the absolution very slowly? Because I look forward to this moment every week. When I hear those words, I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He was a man who had learned how to Appreciate the great gift of grace. Another man said, you know, Father, when I walk out of this confessional, I know I walk out of here a free man to begin again. He said, you know, when you're a Protestant, you hear about confessing your sins directly to God. He said, that sounds very good. But the only trouble with that, he says, is that 
you never know if you've been forgiven or not. St. Paul says, through these, the gracious and priceless promises have been lavished on us, that through them you should share the divine nature and escape the corruption rife in the world through disordered passion. As so we become partakers of the divine nature, God doesn't just come down into our soul, but we get lifted up to be like God. It's a mind-boggling idea. The Holy Spirit dwells in the souls of the just person. And so the life of the Christian is a, a life of dealing with the three persons of the Blessed Trinity or talking to them in a regular way. And so we could ask our Lord that we might appreciate the gift of the sacrament of confession and love the sacraments and do a great apostolate of the sacrament of confession and yearn to have those graces Maybe look at a crucifix before you make your confession to foster sorrow for your sins. Sorrow for sin is not just sorrow because we broke a law. Sometimes when we break the law, we're delighted. I was going round a roundabout on Hulu uh, Avenue one time and I was in the wrong lane and a policeman pulled me over and when he saw I was a priest, he was more embarrassed than I was and eventually said a few words and then let me go. Well, as I drove around the roundabout to get in the right lane, I didn't lean over the steering wheel and say, oh my God, I'm heartily sorry for having driven around the roundabout in the wrong lane. I was delighted. I got away with it. When we break the law and get away with it, we're delighted. So sorrow for sin is not just sorrow for breaking a law, it's sorrow for hurting someone we love. And growing in that refinement A lady in the early 60s wanted to go to confession to Padre Pio. She was from the States. She flew across the Atlantic. She landed in Rome early in the morning. She was feeling tired. She went to her hotel. She decided to lie down and take a bit of a rest. And she'd catch a late morning mass. In those days, there were no evening masses. But she slept the sleep of the just, and she woke up at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and she missed mass. And she knew she hadn't committed a mortal sin because she didn't mean to miss Mass. And the following day, she went to Pietrelcina and she went to confession to Padre Pio and she confessed all her sins. And when she finished, he said to her, is that everything? And she said, yes. And he said, are you sure? And she said, yes. And then he said, what about yesterday when you flew across the Atlantic and you landed in Rome and you fell sleeping, you lay down, you slept the sleep of the just, you woke up at three o'clock and you missed Mass. He could read so. Then he said to her, I know you didn't commit a mortal sin because you didn't mean to miss Mass, but your negligence hurt our Lord. When we examine our conscience, we could look not just at whether our sin is venial or mortal, but to look at our negligences, how we have hurt someone whom we know loves us, and hopefully we try and grow in that love ourselves. And so we can ask Our Lady, the Mediatrix of all graces, that she might help those graces to flow in the sacrament of confession, that we might make better use of the sacrament, and with our words and with our example, try and draw many, many people to this great means that God has given to us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, 
and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.